Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 62 of the PDH Pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Pauper Commander format. I am your host, Brad Drack V, and let's see what my co-hosts from the East Coast are up to. First up, Dave the Alcadron Vader is back in the uh, PDH Pod studios. Welcome back. How you been, buddy? Thank you so much. It feels really good to be back. I am home. <laughs> I am back. Super I'm back at my normal back. computer with my normal microphone on my normal couch. <laughs> at my normal recording time, recording a normal episode. It feels really good. I'm excited to be here. I mean, we could... We could do this podcast as a 24-hour one if you if you needed a sense of like, you know. <laughs> I, I i need i need at least a year before i commit to another 24-hour thing <laughs> you'll have to uh you'll have to fight with the pdh pals about who gets my 24 yeah, hours no. although no, i think they can have the they have the uh the mark on that yeah i think they i think they have dibs for for at least the next one yeah for sure mm -hmm. um in in very exciting news I have. I'm almost finished with my tattoo. I had a had a huge six hour oh, yeah, session. You mentioned um, that in the uh, in the Discord. How'd that go? Yeah. Uh, it was horrible. It was. Uh, <laughs> this, this was the session. Where, so like, you know, for a while, for like the last six months, like the outside of my arm has been finished, and the inside mm -hmm. was still just an outline, black and white. And so we yeah. did did the inside which was fine until he started stabbing me in the armpit with the tattoo gun and that is oh not God. fine that's the opposite of fine that is uh torture that is sort of yeah torturish like yeah. for like an hour he's just stabbing my armpit and i'm like just seething in pain and he's <laughs> like hold still, hold still. And you're like okay <laughs> you're gonna feel some pressure <laughs> yeah, you hold still. It's I'm gonna, almost done. I'm almost gonna, done. Did he keep saying that? I'm almost no, done. I'm almost he, done. <laughs> he actually didn't say anything. He was. Uh, he was uh, w when he said things, he was. He was very kind and very understanding. He's like, "You need a break. Like, you doing okay?" And I was like, yeah. "Yes." <laughs> like, I was forcing it, but like, no. He was. He was very, very. Uh, I guess. I guess in in the tattoo world, I'm I'm still very new to the tattoo world. I, I guess they call this the bedside manner. He had a, he had a very kind of bedside manner. He was very good to me. Oh, well, while, that's good. While stabbing me in the armpit. Uh, yeah, that sounds like a very important personality trait to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was he's great. Well, but awesome, I just awesome, I wanted to awesome. I wanted to share that before I pass the mic back to you. It's my it's my exciting yeah, news absolutely. for the week. Well, it is good to have you back. Thank you. Uh, next up is our resident PDH PhD Liam. How are you doing? I am doing all right. Uh, I am still cleaning out closets. Uh, I I will be cleaning <laughs> out closets well into the school year. But yeah, I, I am prepped and ready for not necessarily the first week of school, but starting the second week of school, mm -hmm. I, am, I am prepped and ready. Uh, I just need to decide sure. what I'm doing the first couple of days. I have thoughts about things, and that's about where it ends at the moment. <laughs> That's, and that's where it ends, huh? In the uh, in the teaching world, it seems like it's when your school year starts back up, you just hit the ground running. Is that pretty typical? Right, because mm -hmm. yes, because um, the first the first two to three weeks prior to the students coming back, the teachers are going back doing all their professional development and trainings on the new things and you know changes in policy. 
So by the time the students actually come back, it's like week four for us. Oh, okay. And so okay. it, yeah, that makes sense. I, I know that part of the first week back stress for students comes from the fact that the teachers have been back, been back for, you know, almost a month at this point. And mm -hmm. we're ready to just get going. And the students are like, you know, hell no. Like, wait, I just got off summer. Yeah, yeah. Hold and, on there. And Slow down. Slow down. We, the <laughs> teachers, have to remember that our summer ended three weeks ago and that that feeling that we had then is what they're experiencing at that moment. So the first week is always, always has to be the slower, hey, let's just get to know each other. Like, let's do yeah. the icebreakers that everyone hates that I'm not going to do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to figure something else out. Uh, that, that's yeah, still sure. like, lets me get to know them, but like in a more covert way that isn't them telling me what they did over the <laughs> summer and what their favorite food is that, you know, every other teacher in the building is going to do with them. Right, that no one's going to listen yeah. to anyway. No, that's cool. It's it's a good context to put it into. I never thought about it like that. Because you just, you know, as a little kid or as a student, you're just like, oh, the teachers show up the day I do, and we just go from there. But yeah. that's not really not really the case. Not even remotely the case, yeah. All right, well, cool. It's glad to have everybody uh, have the band all back together, as they say. But before we get into the main topic, we got to do some housekeeping. If you like the show and you like what we're doing here, consider sp uh, supporting us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash the PDH pod. By being a patron, you get access to the pre-show, which is usually uh, at this point, it's it's a, just about a bonus episode every week. We usually get about an hour or so. Uh, good conversation, all the hot gossip and all the uh, conversations that are unfit for public airwaves. <laughs> and you, uh, <laughs> Did you hear uh, what Eric did last week? I know. He plays Find out, out of control. <laughs> uh, and also as a patron you get early access to the episode before it goes live usually the night before and uh, i also post the show notes for each episode onto patreon so you can sort of follow along with what we're talking about and then finally you get access to the pdh pod discord server where you can chat with the crew get help with all your decks and uh, just have generally good conversations with everybody all day long so uh, check that out and then lastly, on Twitch and YouTube, we are also just the PDH pod. The former is where I stream Spell Table PDH every Saturday, roughly at about 5 p.m. Central. So be sure to check those out. And uh, that's pretty much it. With that, I think I'll hand it off to Liam for to see what we got for this week in Magic. Yeah, uh, this week in Magic was actually pretty chill. There wasn't there wasn't like yeah, it seemed like it anything explosive or terrible that was announced. Not not that I can recall, at least. There wasn't any, like, huge discourse that, you know, made its way to PDH. Uh, it mm -mm. it just seems like the Eldraine story concluded, and then Eldraine spoilers started, and are concluding by the time this episode comes out. Yep. So, yeah. More on that next week. That That's yeah, it. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like Eldraine must have, it must be way more popular with the fan base than I gave it credit for, because usually during a spoiler season, there's at least a uh, a noticeable sized group of people like complaining about whatever, new cards, how bad they are, or how pushed they are, or how fast products are coming out. But like this time around, I didn't really see a lot of complaining during Eldraine spoilers. Like everyone seemed genuinely, genuinely like happy with them, excited about them, like they're kind of fun, they're kind of funny, and it just seemed like a pretty good time all around. Yeah, I, I agree. That was a uh, it was a nice um, nice thing to witness as opposed to what usually happens. 
either that or you and I just happen to have the right people blocked. You know, that could be it too. It does take <laughs> quite a bit to uh, cultivate a certain um, enjoyable Twitter account. It, it takes a moment. <laughs> it takes a moment. Uh-huh. Indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, with that, I think we can move on into the main topic this week. As we welcome Alcadron back to the show, we're not going to let anybody have any fun. Well, oh no. I guess to be more specific, we're going to get to have fun, but nobody else will. Just like we did in episode 37, for example, where we talked about sort of like the zoomed out big mile high overview of the aggro archetype. We're going to take that same approach with control. The uh, multiple aspects of the control archetype. Was, uh, yeah, it's going to be pretty straightforward. What's up, Liam? Was that all the way back in episode 37 was aggro? Yeah, the ag- Thir- yeah, I had to scroll down quite a ways to find that one. 37 yeah, was aggro. And in, yeah. the, in the meantime... Midrange was 51. We've, we did midrange with, with, uh, with Ryan. We did, yeah. we did combo with uh, Last Puzzle. Last November. Uh, that one was structured a little differently with the combo. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we are 25. <laughs> 20, combo. What was 25? It was combo. Oh, but then. Oh, three by three combo. That, yeah, that wasn't the, the, like the, one of the overarching archetype. No, that was, yeah, yeah. that was three by three combo was episode 25. We brought puzzle on just to talk about combo. When, when we did 25, we didn't, we weren't structuring it like a big overarching three by three we were just like let's each pick a combo deck right yeah. uh no i think we zoomed out on that one did we zoom out oh, that was the first zoom out okay i I'm, i feel like we zoomed out i just wow. don't know what's <laughs> happening anymore so it was so long ago it's hard to keep up with uh my memory shot okay yeah it's been a, a minute then yeah yeah it has been a hot minute either way any way you slice it it's been a hot minute finally wrapping up this little mini series we are, yeah. This is uh, this will bring our this sort of this this variety of three by three to a close once we uh, finish off the control archetype here. But and uh, as always, though, oh, go ahead. It's it's a little weird to think about this one ending because, like, usually, like when I when I imagine a three by three, like when we did the three by three for like Voltron, there's a bunch of mm-hmm. really cool Voltron decks that we didn't talk about, and I'm just like, well, we'll, we'll loop back around to Voltron again. Yeah, to talk about some new decks and like new Mm -hmm. new ways to do Voltron that have come up in the last year or so, and like with these, we're taking such a zoomed out view that I'm not sure we're going to be able to do that because like we're not we're not really talking about specific decks. We're talking about like archetypes that have been part of the playstyle of Magic for 30 years, and like that's not going to change. Like we're not going to have anything new to say about ways to play the game. Right. Like we're not going to have anything new to say about Control a year from now. Like revisiting this later isn't going to. Like just just re-listen to this episode, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, so, just uh, book, bookmark this one, and there you go. Yeah. So for the for the macro archetype mini series that you know these all fall into, absolutely, you're right. But for the the ones that aren't as zoomed out, like Voltron, we can absolutely revisit them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's easy. Like Dave was kind of saying, it's easy to think about the smaller, more focused three by threes, like sort of never ending. Like we, you know, there's. A thousand different Voltron commanders that we can talk about and a thousand different aggro and, you know, all this sort of thing. But, yeah, as far as, like, the main archetypes, the main ways to play the game, like, this is this is it. After this, we've touched them all. But with all that said, as always, every 3 by 3 that's worth its salt has a list of pillars to abide by, and control is no different. Dave, what kind of pillars you got for us? Uh, 
some weird ones. Um, <laughs> so, of course, the the standard structure of the pillars, as always, is you know, pillar one is something the deck is trying to do really well. Pillar two is usually going to be something like how you how you protect that or how you leverage that first pillar into a, a winning strategy. And then pillar three is always how to not run out of gas. Pillar four is how to not die. If we're going to talk about control as an archetype, like pillar four is about 90% of what your deck should be doing. It's just how to not yeah. die. <laughs> uh, like I, I chose the words how to not die to describe this pillar. Like what I really mean, the, the subtle, the subtext here is that pillar four has always been, how is your deck going to control the board? And yeah. so like when we bring the control archetype as a whole thing, like how are you going to control the board? So uh, we've had to scramble the pillars a little bit. I think we're still going to come up with four. We're just going to go in-depth on kind of different things. I think we should start with pillar 4A. Ooh. How to not die by controlling the board. So this okay. is going to be how are you going to remove creatures? How are you going to deal with threats? If someone comes up, if someone's playing Kadira and they make 137 bunny tokens, what are <laughs> yeah, you going to do, do about it? Uh <laughs> And then we're going to follow that up with pillar 4B, which is going to be how to not buy, how to not die by controlling the stack, which yes, sort very of very important in control. Super important. And like at a glance, if you're controlling the stack, like I think people are going to assume that I'm mean like counterspell. Uh, I think that this is much more than counterspell. Like if someone, if someone tries to put a freed from the real on a land untapper. Like you have more answers to that than counterspell. You could you could counterspell it. You could cast stave off to give that thing sure. blue. You could cast vines of vastwood to give it uh, pseudo hexproof. You could just lightning bolt the thing. You could just yeah, just blow it up. Could go for the throat the thing. So like, there's lots of different ways that you can play with the stack. Like that are sort of some of this is going to overlapping with controlling the board, but like that that you can respond is going to be a big part of this as well. Yeah, um, it, pillar hashtag number C is going to be how to transform this no fun allowed strategy mindset into something that's actually going to close out the game and, and bring yep. you closer to something approximating winning. Uh, so how are you going to leverage this? Like once, once you have controlled the board and everyone's spirits are broken and no one has the will to do anything <laughs> and the board is empty and there are no more threats, then what? How do you yeah, actually how do you win? How do you? Yeah, I feel like if I've broken my opponent's spirits, I've already won. Right. One of one of the uh, one of the control flavors Spoken we're like going to talk about control player <laughs> is decks that don't really have a win con. They just try to make everyone concede. Yes, and then finally, pillar Roman numeral number three: how to not run out of gas. Some say the best pillar. Uh, yeah, I like it. I, I do too. I think I think I have the most fun with that pillar in pdh decks because like you have to get you can't just be like i'll run wheel of fortune like, yeah right <laughs> you actually have to put thought into it so it's yeah yeah and this is where i feel like you know in some of our past three by threes pillar three is generally where the deck building gets the most creative yes so yes because it's always real fun in at commons we do not have the line of text draw a card very often yeah at, so we have to get creative very often that. outside of blue <laughs> yep excellent excellent pillars dave thank you for that well we have 
pretty much broken down the control archetype into four, uh, would you call it variants? Is that the word I'm looking for? I, I, four flavors. Flavors, yeah. Yeah, four different flavors categories. of control. Yeah, categories. Flavors. Flavors um, is the best word. Okay, let's go with flavors. In, in, uh, in honor of Eldraine, let's go with flavors. Let's start with the first one here. Liam, what flavor are you choosing this week for control? Yeah, uh, so my flavor of control is draw, go. Do you want me to go more in depth? Yeah, tell us about draw, go. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I can. So, sorry, I didn't know if we were all going to go through. And, and, you know, we're professionals. Uh, draw, <laughs> go is <laughs> focusing on playing the tempo style cards during an opponent's turn uh, and or end of turns. So this is looking to be mostly blue plus decks, uh, meaning that if you are in the draw go strategy, you are ab- you absolutely playing blue. Like there's there's no way you're not playing blue. And then you might just be playing blue, or you might be playing more colors. It is as easy as the nomenclature suggests. You draw your card for the turn. You make sure you untap your stuff and do your upkeep uh, in the reverse order that I just said it. Uh, <laughs> untap, upkeep, draw. Uh, and then, yeah, you're probably just passing through main phases in combat. Like, some decks might vary here. You might cast, like, a sorcery, or you might attack with, like, a creature for a scry trigger. Mm-hmm. But honestly, like, the vast majority of your turn is, is going to be very rapid. You will draw a card, do a singular game action, and then pass the turn. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's uh, actually a pretty good point you hit on there, too. Like, a lot of draw-go decks, if you're going to get into the red zone, it's because it benefits you. Yes. Like, you know, to get that scry trigger or to get the uh, when deals combat damage draw a card sort of thing. Yep. You're not just, like, trying to aggro the opponents out of the game. Like, you're still trying to further your game plan without while still holding up what you got for everyone else's turns yeah what sort of uh decks are we going to talk about today for drago give me some examples some yeah examples. Some examples. all right so everyone's favorite og uh no, was no. The, the, the exquisite <laughs> no, blade no. i think is uh-huh. the title yeah yes uh the uh brad's infamous azorius deck that will play a game for two and a half hours and then do absolutely yep. nothing uh, <laughs> love it love it so much yep uh this is a draw go deck this is going to be a deck that you draw the card you flicker a thing or two with your sorcery speed flickers and then you're really just holding up mana for interaction and hoping to uh trigger og on other people's turns yep another deck example would be mischievous chimera uh this is an is it deck i believe the commander is from theros block might be the new theros uh, it's it's an enchantment creature so it's definitely theros uh, and whenever you cast your, is it Beyond, the new yeah. one? Okay, new Theros. Yeah. Uh, whenever you cast your, I'm assuming do it from memory. Uh, first, sec, first, spell. first, first spell on an opponent's turn. Yeah, it's it's during an opponent's turn. It's either the first or the second spell. Uh, the Chimera first, first. will deal yep. one damage to each opponent, and you will draw scry one, scry one. Yep. O- it's not OG that is, OG is uh, second spell on any turn. Mischievous Chimera is first spell on an opponent's turn. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, this one yeah. is better than OG because, first of all, it's got red. Uh, and second of all, it <laughs> is damage. So, already between That's these fair. two, I would build the Chimera. Uh, the next one that Dave wanted me to talk about because it's 40k, and only because it's 40k. Now, uh, it's actually because <laughs> it's a really good Drago commander. Uh, it's Sakurian Infiltrator. For two and a blue, you get a 1-2 with Flash and Squad 2. 
Uh, and whenever it enters the battlefield, you draw a card. So this is a command. This one was. Go ahead. This, this is a commander that you're going to want to put it back in your hand, put it back in the command zone. You're going to just want to cast it and pay that squad cost kind of as much as you can. But the good news is that this infiltrator has flash. So you get to hold this up until the end of turn right before your turn. So you hold up, play as much interaction as needed right before your turn. You squad this as much as you can, draw a bunch of cards, get to your turn, draw for turn, discard the hand size because you have 20 cards in hand. Uh, yep. You know, maybe bounce it back to your hand. Maybe your bounce is instant speed and just pass. Honestly, there's, there's not much you're going to be doing with this outside of bouncing and drawing. Yep. And that was the one game I watched Dave play his infiltrator deck. That's exactly what happened. Like late game, I think you had Sissé's ring and maybe Urgolem's eye out. I'm not totally sure, but I just remember you're like, uh, you like use your whole arm to tap your board for <laughs> mana and you're like, draw eight. So you like drew eight, made a bunch of tokens, and then you're like, okay, untap, upkeep, draw, go. Yeah. Like you literally <laughs> didn't even attempt to do anything else. Like yeah. that was the end of your turn was your draw step. Yeah, yeah. Some, sometimes you play mana rocks like Urgolem's Irises during your main phase, but mostly Yeah. Mostly it's just draw go. Yep. It was hilarious. Yeah. And then the final version of draw go that uh, we will be talking about that I Honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know that it belongs here on Draw Go so much as it does combo control. I don't know. I'm still figuring this deck out. Uh, it is Siani sure. and Essior. So Siani, because uh, it is a Tokyo commander, and I have to build all the Tokyo commanders, Essior because it needed a partner, and there aren't any other Tokyo uncommon partners, so I just chose the one that was the same color that is from a generic unnamed plane. That in my headcanon, SEO is from Tokyo, even though I know it's not. <laughs> uh, even though the artwork suggests it is definitely not. Uh, you right. know, I, it is in my headcanon that it is. So, Siani is a commander that uh, wants to attack to scry X, where X is the number of attacking creatures with flying. That tends to be the only game action this deck will take on its own turn. Maybe casting a creature spell or two to generate some more flyers. But in reality, it is just, it is attacking with Siani and a couple of other things, get those scry triggers, and then just passing around with instant speed draw and counter magic. That is what the, yep. the current version of the deck does. Uh, its main win con is either combat damage in the air or combo, but it's not a dedicated combo deck. So it, sure. it has to dig. Yep. It doesn't have any tutors. Yeah, that's kind of where I've, gotten with my og list like there's gonna i'm going to be slotting combos in there just to make the game end at some point yeah <laughs> so games got to understand end. that feeling <laughs> yeah the game's got it like og's hella fun to play but not three hours later yeah that, that's what i was running into with my tests with siani is that like i would get two and a half hours into a game and then it'd be like one versus one and the opponent has like maybe two or three Siani hits marked on them. And mm -hmm. it's just yep. like, I, I got to have another way to end this. Like, And yeah. so I put some combo pieces in. Uh, the deck is in a bit of a state of flux. It's one that I haven't ordered yet because I haven't quite decided if I like it in its current state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it should be interesting. I, I, I've always liked, I've never really brewed them or played them, but I've always liked the idea of monocolored partner decks. It always seems fun to me. It seems like there's a lot more like, I mean, I'm guilty of it, but there's a lot of players that just try to like jam as many colors as possible. 
into the partner decks yeah. where I think it's um it's a pretty neat like thought slash deck building um experiment to to build a monocolor uh, partner deck. Yeah. I have two of those. Mm-hmm. And both of them it was because I had I had one partner that I really really wanted to build and I couldn't figure out what to partner them with because like you said I was trying to jam as many colors. I was I was I was I was only looking at partners with different colors like what what can exactly. i pair this with to get an extra color what would it bring to it and i was just dissatisfied with all those options and then someone sure. was like what if you did this it's the same color and i was like what no what? yeah it's like a moment uh, of realization yeah yeah awesome awesome thanks for the draw go liam uh i guess i'll go next i am gonna pick another quadrant of the control archetype in uh personally my favorite type of control to brew and build and Sometimes watch, depending on the format, and that's tap out control. Basically, you are spending all your resources every turn to react to the board states more so, more often than to react to spells on the stack. Because if you're spending a, you know, all of your mana or most of your mana on your turn, what you're doing is either going to be permanent based or it's going to be sorcery speed. So that makes it really hard to interact on the stack. So you're going to have a, you're going to focus mostly on, on what the board is showing you. It's a version of the archetype that attempts to cast more removal and larger creatures rather than being reactive to every single spell that come that, that, that your opponents cast. Um, this version will be more threatening towards aggressive decks, which it usually is. Um, even in like 60 card formats, it's just that's the nature of, of archetypes as a whole. Um, often slowing down the game to slam large, giant, game ending threats, you know, in the later turns. I have a few examples here as well. The first one I'm probably going to talk about is Baleful Strix. I know that anytime someone brings up control in, uh, PDH, specifically Demir decks, it, it seems like they just gravitate towards Baleful Strix. Um, I'm sure everybody knows by now, but it's a two mana one one flying death touch, and when it ETBs, you draw a card. Like that just screams, I will build my deck semi around this card, and I will cast it no matter how much mana it's going to cost me because the value is just really good because it, it synergizes so well with the rest of the deck that it's okay to spend six mana on a baleful strix, you know, because chances are it's not going to go anywhere for a while because of the death touch, because of the flying. So yeah, there, there's a lot of options there, but that tends to something, I, I don't know if it's just ingrained in Magic players, but something about this specific creature tends to make people build just hardcore tap-out Demir control decks, and I love it. So I don't know if it's like harkening back to the days when Baleful Strix was new and unlimited or standard or what have you, but um, most of the decks I see with Baleful Strix at the helm are generally some sort of like just ham-fisted control list. And I love it. It's one of my favorite. Uh, the next one up that I love. Oh, go the, ahead. I love just the word "ham-fisted" as a description <laughs> of Baleful Strix control. Like, I mean, it's I love the deck. It's really powerful. But like, compared to some of the other things, compared to some of the other decks that we're going to talk about, it's a little bit brain dead. Yeah. Oh, it certainly is. Yeah, you're definitely just smashing stuff for sure. Uh, the next one I was going to talk about is Wither Bloom Apprentice, the 2-2 for 2 mana human druid from Strixhaven. Uh, whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. It seems pretty straightforward. You know, it's almost, um, 
if you kind of squint at it, it's almost like Golgari spell slinging. But this can be pretty pretty brutal if you go the control route with it. And I'm particularly uh, interested in a very hardcore, like uh, removal heavy Golgari rock sort of list where you're just doing nothing but using the black to control the board and using the green for your defenses or to take out you know opposing creatures with fight spells or what have you until you can eventually just um win by dropping like the biggest creatures on the board you can definitely build it to play around its ability like you can definitely make it somewhat of a spell slinger list and just you know go all in on the um, the draining ability, you can throw in your extorts and all that kind of stuff, your mar- marauding blight priests and all those good things. But I like this more, I like that ability more as incidental value because I've noticed if your deck is focused on that life gain, that draining ability, this thing's going to die. Like this thing never lives a turn cycle and it just gets more expensive and more expensive and more expensive. So I like when I build decks like this, I like to build the deck to be as powerful as possible while using the commander as like um, extra support, if you will. That way, you know, if you want to, you'll have to deal with my entire board or my commander, one or the other. You know, you can't just take out my commander and then my deck crumples because, you you know, I've got 30 power on the board now all of a sudden and a pestilence and all this other stuff. So you're going to have to deal with that as well. So um, you can definitely build it the um, commander-centric way, which is very powerful. You know, it's definitely um, a competitive build, but I like the more controlly aspect of it. Uh, the next one I'm going to talk about also is similar, but I think it's more hardcore control. It's Thrall Parasite. This one showed up on the CPDH scene uh, about a year or so ago, and it's a single mana, single black mana for a 1-1 Thrall with Extort. Drop, drop it as early as turn one and start extorting everyone on turn two. That seems real good. Uh, it's got another ability. You can tap it to pay two life to remove a counter from a target non-land permanent. Mm, does come up every now and then, I guess, but it's mostly irrelevant in the deck that we're that we're trying to build. But this is just going to be. This is probably the most. I feel like extort as an ability is more powerful than Wither Bloom Apprentice's ability, even though they're kind of similar, because um, you can extort off any spell you cast. And then being mono black, like mono black is probably the best control color that we have i mean it's got all the great removal it's got you know stacks of really good sweepers it's got its own giant creatures that can end game so there's a lot going on for it and um it's pretty exciting if you're a mono black fan to begin with so uh thrall parasite and then lastly sort of like liam was talking about with his lcr deck i have been struggling i i feel like tor wauki the younger I've been struggling to make this a control pile for a long time, but I think it's definitely got chops. I think it's definitely has the ability to be a very good control deck, uh, but I just struggle to make it so. <laughs> but I think it fits into this sort of tap out control list because you literally will, you want to get as much damage as you possibly can out of Tor before he dies, and he dies a lot. So you're likely spending a ton of your mana every single turn while trying to affect what's on the board and being red and black you're not really going to care too much about what's on the stack you're going to be you're going to care about the cardboard on the table in front of you so i'd like to figure out if we can make tour a really good tap out control deck but i think he's got chops and i think that might be about it for my my little section here um what do you got dave 
I I just want to add that it, it took me a while to figure out like the 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 distinction, the delineation in like flavors of control between Drago and Tap Out, because like I was when we were planning this episode, we we spent a while figuring out how we were going to structure it. Uh, but I like the the thing that I think made it click for me is if you're playing Drago, you want to react to whatever happens on the stack, mm-hmm. and if you're playing Tap Out, you want to react to whatever's happening on the board. Yep. And like that, I think that's the clearest way to differentiate them. Yeah, that made perfect sense to me. And now I'm going to talk about a different flavor of control that is both of those things mixed together. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I the, the third flavor of control we're going to talk about is just combo control, which mm-hmm. is going to use both of these styles of control, both flavors. You, you need to be able to interact on the stack and you need to be able to interact to the board. You have to be able to handle both of those things in in some measure, uh, while you dig for a combo win. Uh, so this is more focused on trying to close the game and keeping yourself alive for a little bit, uh, whereas I think the other flavors of control are more focused on trying to shut down other people's plans, and then yeah. eventually slowly grind out victory. Yeah. Uh, where this, I th- I think. Combo control is a little bit more. We, we we talked a little in the pre-show about what the word proactive means here, and I'm still not sure combo control is very proactive. But it, I think it's more <laughs> driven to do something rather than focused a, on preventing other people from doing things. That's a colorful word, driven. I yeah, like that. I worked hard for it. So <laughs> the the combo control decks I'm going to bring to this episode are. Uh, an is it guild mage list uh first popularized by yalaran which is uh is it guild mage lets you i've, I've probably mentioned it before on the stream because it's a really fun deck uh is a two mana two two uh for three mana you can copy an instant or for three mana you can copy a sorcery as long as the spells you're copying have converted mana cost two or less which means that as there's you know half a dozen really powerful ways that you can use this ability to combo but mm-hmm. there's also every single two mana spell, every single two mana digging spell can be copied to dig way deeper. And every single one or two mana control spell, like Lightning Bolt, Galvanic Blast, uh, Abraid, Boomerang, sure. Counterspell, Arcane Denial, all of these can also be copied as many times as you have mana. So the control elements here are powerful and kind of horrifying. Yeah, and that that ends up being very powerful when you can take out two creatures with a single cardboard of lightning bolt. Yeah, even though you you know even though you ended up with two lightning bolts. And that's that's not even getting into what happens when you start copying and the festivities or <laughs> electricery. Sure. Um, you can you can kick jilt and then copy jilt and take out four creatures. Like, <laughs> holy cow! Yeah. Um, you can do some. Nasty stuff with his guild mage, and he combos. Another combo control deck I'm going to talk about is Ruin Crab, which is mm-hmm. uh, gonna try. Ruin Crab is a one mana zero three that lets you mill each opponent for three cards whenever a land ETBs. This is going to try to eventually combo with uh, Ghostly Flicker, but not displace. You have to Whoa. be flickering the Archimancer and an island. <laughs> For this yes. one to work, because the I, that's how you kill people is with the landfall. Yeah. But in the meantime, it's gonna play just a lot of mono blue control elements, counter spells, bounce, Tamiyo's completion kind of stuff. 
And yep. then the third combo control deck I'm bringing to the table is something that uh, I actually have very little personal experience with myself. This is going to be Findhorn Brownies Avalanche Ooh. Collar deck, uh, which is another mono blue. It's got a, a really impressive control suite, 11 counter spells, 11 removal spells. This is a uh, kind of a pivoty deck because uh, the I think the main win plan is to try and combo with Freed from the Real on a land because Avalanche Caller can animate your lands into bodies. Uh, but you can also just beat people to death with bodies if the combo yeah, doesn't I, work I, out for you. I like this list because it does have that blue lock, that blue control aspect, but then it just sort of like can also turn the corner like a mid-range deck if it needs to be. Yeah. Yep. I like it. Yeah, very cool. One of the things that I, I do want to mention about critical differences between Avalanche Caller and Is It Guild Mage is that mm -hmm. you know, as as I have or as, as we have sort of structured the, the pillar for how to not die element, like usually when I'm talking about how to not die, I'm talking about answer. Like how are you going to remove the threat? How are you going to counter the threat? How are you going to you know get rid of it so that you can survive another turn or two? Um, yep. Sometimes the how to not die plan is just have blockers. Avalanche Caller is really good at that because it can just Super good. <laughs> turn its lands into 4-4 four, four bodies. Like, yeah. Is it Guildmage has zero creatures in the deck. It's <laughs> it's got hard evidence, which is kind of a creature, but other than that, like there's Kinda, just yeah. nothing is it Guildmage is gonna do to put a body in the way of another attacking body. Uh Avalanche right. Caller is really good at making having having bodies to put in the way of things. Yep. So that's what I'm gonna do for combo control. Uh we when we were structuring things, we kind of there was there's a fourth flavor of combo that kept popping. Like a hidden flavor almost. Yeah. The the secret the secret ending. Yeah. The hidden track. Um, the director's cut, yep. We wanted, we wanted to mention this a little bit. We're not going to talk a lot about it, because as far as we can tell, there's only like one deck that like really like easily fits this criteria. Uh, the flavor is just lockout control. So yep. these are decks that are going to, with some combination of cards, they're going to establish a hard lock where your opponents cannot do anything. They, they're, they, they become incapable of affecting the board state or making meaningful impact on the game and this is the flavor yeah. of control where the win con is everyone gets uh disheartened and discouraged and quits and then quits <laughs> and you gotta find new friends and then you gotta find new friends yep the only deck that we could collectively think of that that really goes hard on this strategy is mist meta witch which i call olka because that is the the name of the mist meta witch in question every time she's referenced in yep. flavor text it says olka Olka is capable of generating a couple different kinds of lock. She's a 2-mana 1-1 one, one that lets you spend 4-mana to slow flicker any creature. She is yeah, capable... any creature on the board. Any creature on the board. Yours, your opponent's, it's instant speed. So, like, other other decks are similar. OG, OG does kind of this. O, um, yeah, kind of. As long as you... But, like, o, OG's not an activated ability. If you want to flicker something lots, you have to, you have to come up with two spells per turn yeah it's a cast time. ability yeah mm -hmm. um soul herder does this once per turn as an etb thing or as end of turn no combat i mean, no i think it's an end of turn effect for soul herder at the beginning uh, of your end step yep. you may exile another target creature you control yep the yep. end step oh, yeah flicker it 
Uh, Ulka is the only one who does this as an activated ability uh, for just yeah, four it's mana. It's not even a tap ability. No, you like, can do this. Just pump mana into you can, it. <laughs> you can exile three or four cards if you have the mana for it. And so Olka can create these locks by just flickering uh, Stonehorn Dignitary uh, every turn to just lock your opponent out of combat forever. Yep. Uh, you can flicker a Vidalkin Dismisser every turn, and uh, your opponent will never get to draw another card because you can just keep on putting whatever creature they have in play on top of their deck. And like, oh, if, that's gross. Maybe eventually they'll just give up on having creatures in play, <laughs> and like, or that, just give up, or just give up. Like, you this this <laughs> isn't like a, a deterministic lock where you just you can can if if they stop playing anything on the board, then then they'll get to draw a card. But like that yep. that that's you winning. That's not that's not that, them that's breaking it, yep. the lock. That's that's despair taking over. Yeah, and that's. I think that's the definition of it, when your opponents can literally no longer play the game. Right. This third one isn't a lock, but it is a uh, just an, an unstoppable killing machine. Because Olka is a slow flicker, she exiles the creature and it comes back at the end of turn. And because mm -hmm. it can hit any creature, you can exile your opponent's creature for four mana, and then spend two mana into Oracle of Dust to put that oh, creature gross. from exile into the graveyard. So like it's not a hard lock, but it lets you <laughs> lets you spend six mana without spending any cards from your hand to just kill anything as many times as you want. Uh, yep. So that's the lockdown deck. Uh, we're gonna bring it up occasionally as we go through these pillars, but uh, my focus is mostly gonna be on combo control. Yep. Yeah, I feel like Olka is one of those commanders where if you're trying to, or or if you feel like you've built a fun or fair version of it you're gonna have to explain that at the beginning of the game <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like no it's not what you think it is like, please don't kill me that's funny it's a good deck though it's very powerful at what it does but Ooh. yeah i want to get into i feel like we've been we've been talking for a while it's time to, to talk yeah. we need to talk about how these these piles of decks are going to accomplish that these different pillars yeah um, let's do that the first pillar, again, quick reminder, the first pillar we're going to talk about is Pillar 4A, How to Not Die by Controlling the Board. Uh, are we passing this one back to Liam? Yep, I think so. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So in Draw Go, controlling the board is not as frequent as controlling the stack is. At least in, in my personal experience, this style is running mm -hmm. way more counter spells than it is, say, bounce spells. Uh, and the decks sure. that are running bounce spells really want to be using it on their own stuff, such as Sakarian Infiltrator or OG. Uh, sometimes, yeah. Sakarian Infiltrator yeah. wants to bounce its own stuff a lot. Now, but, if, yeah. if, if the spell is like, you know, run away together, yeah, okay, that, you know, that functions as both your own bounce spell and removal. It but, turns out there's like six of those. I that know. is true. <laughs> yeah. um, and you, and you just look at them and you're like, ah, it's a bounce spell. But every time it, get cast, it gets cast, you're like, wow, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. So. A two mana? Sure is. Yeah. But when it comes to controlling the board, I'm I'm not so sure that Drago tends to control the board as well as it controls the stack. No, I don't even think it wants to necessarily. I, I think, think that, that is the case. Yes, the best yep. the best you're going to get by controlling the board is by clogging it. Siani Siwa wants yes. to get as many flying bodies on the board as possible. Sakarian infiltrator, you're going to just end up with a bajillion Sakarian infiltrators. 
OG does a lot of ETB abilities. Those are just going to clog the board up because they tend to have a higher toughness. Yep. Mischievous Chimera is an Izzet deck, so it's probably not producing as many blockers. But even then, you know, I, I don't know that it's controlling the board per se. Now, am I, allo- am I allowed to talk about Pillar 4B right now? Uh, we could do two pillars at a time, if you like. These are very similar-ish pillars. Yes. Sure. Yeah, All go right. for it. Let's do it. So, for Pillar 4B, however, controlling the stack, that's where these decks are going to shine. These decks are, like like I said earlier, they tend to be mostly uh, mono-blue. Uh, sometimes the mono-blue with like a flavor of another color. Sakurian Infiltrator and OG, like I just mentioned, they're controlling the board a little bit with their bounce spells, but these decks overall, uh, Siani Essior, Infiltrator, Chimera, OG, they are just looking to cast spells on the opponent's turn. That could look like a removal spell, that could look like a counter spell, that could look like a draw spell to just get cash triggers up there for Chimera and OG. Uh, yep, that could 100%. look like the Infiltrator itself coming in at the end of the turn after you've used the remainder of your mana to interact with what your opponents are doing. So these yep. decks are definitely looking to control the stack via counter spells, via protection spells. Uh, in the case of OG, it has access to the the stave offs and the uh, is it God's willing, God 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 yeah. willing, God, God's like willing yep. protection and sky one, yeah yeah shelter, mm-hmm. shelter protection and draw one. card. OG is going to have access to all the white protection spells. Uh, Siani, if you partner it with someone other than Sua, might have access to white protection spells. Those are going to be the ways that these decks are going to be interacting. They want to be stopping the thing before it even gets the chance to hit the board. Versus some of these other versions of control don't mind things hitting the board because they'll deal with them there. Yep. Yeah. That's what I got for draw go. Brad, what do you got out for tap out? I like it. Pretty straightforward. We talked about ham-fisting stuff earlier. Uh, we're going to go into some 4A pillar here. How to not die by controlling the actual what's in play on the board. Baleful Strix is really straightforward. You are going to be... You're just going to jam your deck full of all the good black removal spells. You're going to probably, you know, if you're if you're super hardcore into it, you're probably going to run Crypt Rants and Pestilence. I, I Personal... personal um, preference i don't typically run both in a deck i'll run one or the other but there's absolutely nothing stopping you from running both of them in the same deck and that's really it you're going to play to the board you're not really you're going to have a few three or four two to three actual counter spells actually like instant speed counter spell sort of thing in your deck for to try to stop the combo player or to try to you know prevent whoever from controlling you out of the board or whatever you're going to have naturally you're going to have those in there because your deck has islands so why not but for the most part you're you're just going to run these cast downs and you're going to try to not only remove the creatures on board but you know you can build it in such a way that you're you're doing all the siphon mind and the um okiba gang shinobis and the burglar rats and that sort of thing like you you can really sort of hone in or focus in on what aspect of your opponents you want to control but even those things even the hand disruption disruption is still sorcery speed like you're still spending your mana to affect the aspect of the game that you want to affect and to a certain extent weather bloom apprentice is sort of the same you you got the black half the half the deck is black you know so you've got the big spells arms of hadar is another big one drown in sorrow is a new downshift from 
Commander Masters. And other than that, I mean, there's not a lot of difference between, honestly, between the 99 of Witherbloom and the 99 of Baleful Strix. You're just piling it full of really good spells, fight spells, if you will, obviously removal spells. You have access to green in this deck, so you got plenty of ramp options. So if you're ramping in a tap-out deck, that just means as the game gets goes later, you get to cast more spells per turn than everybody else. And they're probably going to be a little bit more powerful. Liam talked about OG having white, the access to the protection spells there. In Witherbloom Apprentice, you have green, so you have the really good protection spells there. Snake, snakeskin Veil, Tamiyo Safekeeping, all that sort of good stuff. Where they're just sort of like auto-includes at this point in any sort of commander-centric green deck or deck that plays green. And see what I got next. Thrall Parasite is sort of the same, except you're just you're just going hard on the mono black control. Like you're literally in with all of it. You're in with the crypt rats and you're in with the pestilences and you're in with the oubliettes and you're in with just about every removal spell. Evan Carr's justice. Evan Carr's justice. Like I've seen people play dry spell for the fun of it. Like the, <laughs> spaces, oh, no, like, no. I don't, I don't know why they don't, they don't play it very long, but um, <laughs> You know, we even got a recent downshift of darkness, so that'll help you out there. And we've got all the different types of life gain in mono black, so you can really just... Uh, mono black is like a very popular archetype in... I, w- I would honestly say that mono black control is probably the most popular ar- control archetype in all of the game. Like, people just absolutely love mono black control, and it's fun. It's It's kind of a hell of a drug sort of thing, like you get really good, powerful draw spells. You get powerful removal spells. You get powerful creatures. You get powerful commander options, even. And you just sort of go from there. Like, you know, somebody might look at Defile, the one-mana, you know, instant target creature gets minus one, minus one till end of turn for each swamp you control and not think much of it in Pauper Commander because that card is nuts in a format where you can play four of them. But in an all swamp deck like that card just does work at all aspects of the game all points of the game that card does absolute work so you get things like that you get graveyard recursion you get reanimation if you want to go that route so there's really not a lot that mono black control can't do except go fast so even if you're trying to play like i don't i don't know that mono black draw go is a thing like i feel like if you're in mono black you just have to accept the fact that you are on some sort of tap out control variation. Would you say that's that's correct? Can you think of any like super aggressive mono black commanders? I can think of mono black commanders that are a lot less controlly, mm-hmm. but none that are super aggressive. Yeah, and you know, I I hadn't even really talked about the commander for this deck itself. I was just talk- talking about the MBC aspect of it, but Thrall Parasite, like. Because you can extort on every single spell you cast, like you're going to remove a creature and extort the table. You're going to sweep the board and extort the table. And it's super easy to do because it's so cheap. Like You drop it on turn one and you just, you're just gone. You're off to the races. I mean, a very, very slow race, but you're off to the races. And then, you know, kind of what I mentioned earlier, the table at that point is going to have to decide what they want to do. Like... Do they want to waste spells removing Thrall Parasite? And then you're just going to cast it for three mana? 
Or do they want to try to deal with the Gary that's on the board or the Gloomfang Mauler that's on the board? Like, what are they going to do? Because it's coming at you from all angles. And that's one of the beauties of a deck like this is it's so it's got that mid range feel, but it's definitely controlled because it's so removal heavy and it's so glacially slow. So I don't know if there's anything you want to add to Thrall Parasite. I would actually like some input on Tor. I am. I have been fascinated with Tor since he released. If anybody's not familiar, it's three in Rakdos for a 3-3 human archer. Tor Wauki, the younger legendary creature with reach and lifelink. If another source you control would deal non-combat damage to a permanent, it deals that much damage plus one. And then when you cast an instant or sorcery, Tor deals two damage to any target. I just... I feel like this is in the control category because of the black aspect of it. If if it was is it or Boros or whatever, I don't think it would even come close to a control deck. But because of the black, I think it's got control aspects to it because you can run all the Thrall Parasite removal spells and the sweepers, but then you also have the red for just straight-up removal and aggression. So I feel like this is a... It's in a weird classification, but it's like... Um, I don't even know. Like, how how would you classify Tor, Dave? Uh, like, do you think of Tor as a control deck? Like, I just th- in your head when you see someone yes. playing it, you're like, oh, they're on control. I I think Tor is very firmly in the control category. I don't think he's entirely tap out because he's like, he's going to be somewhere in the middle of you know, Evan Carr's Justice and Drown in Sorrows, which to me are the the hallmark of tap out control. Crypt Rats. He's going to be in between those things and lightning bolts and go for the throats and like yeah speed you know do this on the stack kind of thing but i feel like being in between those puts him into tap out control just because he's he's got the ability to do the tap out control like sakarian infiltrator can't do that infiltrator's right right interaction is like drago like there's 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 no benefit to me playing any of these cards on my turn like i'm just gonna see what you do and react to that Whereas, like, because because Tor Tor's gonna do a little bit of that, but because Tor also has access to the Drown and Sorrows, Crypt Rats, Evan Carr's Justices, then I would I would put him in the tap out control category. Yeah, and it's because of the red and because mainly because of the black, it's gonna play to the board itself more than it will the stack ever. Yeah, I think so. so. Excellent. Uh, that is uh, that's my tap out. What do you got, Dave? Uh, I am going to tell you about, we're still on pillar 4A, how to not buy, die by controlling the board. I'm going to try and oh, tell I you how. I think I went into 4B. I'm going to tell you nothing. I'm going to pass the mic back <laughs> to Brad. <laughs> oh, we are absolutely professionals. All right. Professionals. Uh, professional podcasters. All right. Baleful Strix, as you can imagine, it's a Demir commander, so playing to the stack is not going to be super difficult. I don't think I need to go too far into it, but it's going to run a handful of your negates and your dispels and your counter spells arcane denial pretty much the best the most relevant ones um if if you'd like you can play into you can interact with the stack if someone's trying to remove your creatures by you you can have some flickers in your deck to fairies time twist ghostly flicker that sort of thing but for the most part your it stack interaction in this deck is really just sort of last resort because you want to be doing more powerful things on your turn the like i said earlier the counter spell or the dispel or what have you is 
if you're fighting a combo player or if you need, you know, whatever protection for some reason, you know, it's that sort of thing. So it's not going to do it a lot, but because you have blue, you have that sort of um, option. But it's always a good idea to run a little bit of instant speed removal if you need to. And, you know, that's I think that's really about it. You can sort of customize it. It's very toolboxy in that respect. But regardless, I think you're going to end up with a, uh, a controlling list um, in the end. The controlling the stack and with a balloon apprentice, I don't know that you are, honestly. I have not, I've played against the deck. I have not played uh, with the deck, but there's not a lot in green or black that actually affect the stack before those cards become permanents or while those spells are being cast or what have you. Vines so is most a big of, one. Yeah, Vines of Asswood. And um, the green protection spells that I mentioned earlier, the safekeepings and the Gaia's gift and all that sort of thing, the hexproof spells, if you will. Th those and, are those are good for protecting your stuff. Vines is the one you can use aggressively. Yes, vines is the one that you can use um, on anybody, on any commander. Yeah, you yeah. can use it aggressively. That's a good way to put it. Uh, so there's not a ton of stack interaction there, and if you've played like i've played a ton of golgari i love golgari rock decks just big fat you know black green decks you just have to expect that <laughs> you have to expect that 90 percent of the spells that your opponents cast you're not going to be able to do anything about until they get on the board and by then they've already got an etb trigger off of them or they've already gained the monarchy or the initiative or what have you so you just have to sort of expect that but you have to have the confidence to know that what you're going to do next is going to be bigger than whatever they just did. So don't worry about it. Uh, Thrall Parasite, same thing as Apprentice, but almost worse because it's mono black. There's just not a ton of stack interaction. There's not, we don't even have the green protection spells. Like we have some of the, um, well, actually by now we have a ton of them, the Grave Flickers, you know, the feigned deaths and you fake your own death and this death and that death and supernatural stamina and all that sort of stuff, the undying effects. Uh, and that's really going to be about it. But, you're sort of playing those under the uh, under the the assumption or with the hopes that your opponents have a ton of removal pointed at you, or you have to build in some sacrifice effects so you can get more ETBs off your Gary and off your uh, whatever your yeah, whatever else you got your Phyrexian Rager and that sort of thing. Uh, Tor is a little no, it's not. It's not any better at playing on this. I was gonna say it's a little bit better. But that's just because it's got red and you could slot in <laughs> like Pyroblast and Red Elemental Blast. Ugh, but that's really about it. It's going to have the same problem as Witherbloom where it's a black X deck. So the black can only really deal with what's on the board. And for the most part, red does too. Red's removal is not stack based. But the good thing about red's removal as opposed to green is that red can go upstairs. It can go to the face. So um, that's probably what you're going to be wanting to do with Tor anyway. So as far as my four decks go, 4B, there just isn't a lot unless you want to build uh, Baleful Strix as more of a um, counterspell heavy deck. I think that's pretty much what I got, deck, uh, Dave. I think I will once again hand the mic over to you. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to tell, we'll do Pillars 4A. Why, why did I even split these into two pillars? <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> it's funny. We're professionals. We're, it is funny. Uh, 4A. How to not die by controlling the board. Uh, we'll start with that one. 
Is it Guildmage is going to control the board by lightning bolting six things at once? Yes. And uh, there's a lot of so let me I'm gonna skip over Rune Crab real quick. Rune mm-hmm. Crab is gonna control the board by it's got uh, a handful of like boomerangs, a handful of powerful bounce spells. Rune Crab also runs a pretty impressive suite of the blue control enchantments, things like Frogify, Tamio's safekeeping, witness protection, mm, yeah, Stasis uh, Field, all that good stasis stuff. Stasis Field, yeah. These are these are blue enchantments. Some of them even have flash, so you can do this on the stack. Tamio's safekeeping is nuts. Not safekeeping. Yeah. Completion. Tamio's completion. Completion, yeah. These cards are all really powerful ways for blue to, to try to not die while it digs for combos. Mm-hmm. Especially with Rune Crab, like, you know, sometimes so if you know, if you witness protection a thing, people are gonna attack you with it to to hopes that you'll block and kill it, or maybe maybe they'll try to block your stuff and kill it. Like Rune Crab doesn't have to worry about any of that. Rune Crab can block citizens all day every day <laughs> all day or a day and it's never gonna attack so like you like being able to block the one one is like you don't have to worry about ninjas it's really good for mm-hmm. witness protections and frogifies is it guild mage weirdly doesn't have any of those enchantments because you can't copy a stasis field you can Correct. copy run away together and lightning bolt and what are the other really good ones boomerang Boomerang is really good because it can hit anything. It can hit like enchanted lands. Boomerang is yeah, that's high super quality. Gross. Into the Royal and Blink of an Eye are great ways to control the board because you can you can kick them, and then they still the the converted the mana value of the kicked spell is still just two, so you can copy the kicked version and draw cards off that. Pretty gross. Mm-hmm. Avalanche Caller has a pretty robust suite of control. Uh, we're doing the standard issue snap, snap back into the royal bouncy suite, boomerang, echoing truth, all of that. Avalanche Caller is also going to get into Fade Away, which is one of Blue's only answers to big board states. Uh, Fade Away mm-hmm. is a three mana sorcery for each creature. That creature's controller pays one mana or sacrifices a permanent. Yep. Um, so if someone has 12 creatures on board, you can <laughs> you can hit them with the fadeaway, and probably a lot of those creatures are going to disappear. Yeah, that might be the end of their game. Right. I, I have this card in a Gandalf deck, and like just threatening to do it twice in a row at instant speed is... <laughs> it's brutal. Yeah, that is pretty brutal. The other really fun control pieces that I want to mention by name here are Vanishing. is a one-mana enchantment that gives you a two-mana activated ability, Enchanted Creature phases out. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is... It's not an yet because it, the creature phases back in. But if you have a lot of mana left, a lot of spare mana, you can make something phase out many, many times. Mm-hmm. The thing that makes it, like, orders of magnitude less oppressive than... than Oubliette are that you every time it phases in you have an opportunity to sacrifice it and you sacrificing it isn't something that someone can respond to so there are ways to get out from under vanishing you can find ways to put this thing back in your command zone uh Oubliette yeah, yeah. don't ever get that opportunity like it's it's hard to like you know if, if your commander is vanishing like it's hard to like get it with a lightning bolt like, which always feels bad in the first place because you're going to spend your yeah. own removal spell on your own commander. That feels terrible. <laughs> on your own commander. <laughs> but like then th- the problem with that even then is that you can phase it out in response and then your mm-hmm. lightning bolt fizzles and your creature is still... Yeah. So Vanishing is 
can be really, really powerful, but it's it's no oubliette. Yeah, for sure. The other one I think is really funny is Flood. Is a global enchantment, one mana blue global enchantment from the dark. It gives you the ability two blue mana, tap target creature without flying. Yep. So if someone has a couple beefy guys that are gonna come for your face, you can tap them Not out with anymore. flood. Yep. Um, the problem with using flood a lot is that you're you have to do this before the declare attacker step. Like if someone if someone goes, I move to a combat, and you go, okay, and then they say, I attack you with these guys, like you can't tap them in response to the declaration of attackers. <laughs> yeah, uh, that yeah, doesn't a little work. late there. So like you have to if you're playing with flood, you have to constantly be in this like, are are you going to attack me? Are you going to attack someone else? Like, do I need to tap these down? Like it's just constant like politicking, which can be tiring. Mm-hmm. But it's a good card so- if you're willing to put up with that. That's the board control strategy for for my combo control decks. The stack control strategy is that a lot of these board control pieces are instants, like boomerang. Mm -hmm. So you can can boomerang things in response. You can blink of nine in response. Lots Lots of ways to respond to things there. And also, all of these decks are blue, so you just have the full suite of competitive counter spells. Yep. Counter spell, arcane denial, negate, deprive rewind is a good one you know and i I, we have a a little bit later we're gonna get to some honorable mention commanders but i think in this specific episode this control episode i think we have to shout out deprive right deprive mystic sanctuary locks gross yeah so gross yeah yeah uh so deprive is the counter spell that as part of its cost you have to bounce a land to your hand yep uh if if the land you bounce to your hand is mystic sanctuary then you can just get deprived back. <laughs> yep, do it all over again. It's pretty terrible. It's <laughs> terrible. Um, so yeah, uh, that's that's pillars four A and four B. I think for the com- the combo control. Sure. Uh, I'm gonna talk a little bit about Olka now, just very briefly. Olka's interacting with a stack is. She does very little of that. I think the uh, the way I have her built, there's only three counter spells in here. Most of her interacting with the stack is just flickering things, mm-hmm. and like sometimes you can you can leverage these. I, I mean I mean flickering things with spells, so things like blink, uh, displace, ghostly flicker. Sometimes if you have the right board state, you know you you can displace or ghostly flicker your own rambunctious mutt. To destroy an artifact mm. or enchantment, sure. At instant speed, or maybe you can do that with a uh, uh, what else? A mist raven to bounce a creature at instant speed. Yep. But mostly, she's not going to interact with things on the stack much at all. Uh, mostly, she's going to be, you know, after everything is resolved, she's going to, you know, use her own commander ability, four mana exile thing. That's how she's gonna flicker the rambunctious mutt, and she's gonna destroy something at end step, or yeah. flicker the you know the aether snipe to do it that way. How she controls the board though is horrifying in every conceivable <laughs> way. Uh, we already talked about the way that she's gonna like the whole purpose of this deck is gonna be to try and establish a lock with something like Vidalkin Dismisser to lock everyone out of uh, draw steps or a Stonehorn Dignitary to lock everyone out of combat steps. Yeah. The the part of this deck I didn't talk about is as as I have this deck built, 
I decided that I wanted to lean very heavily into uh, abusable enchantments. So things like Oblivion Ring and Journey to Nowhere are these yeah. removal enchantments that this is before, like the, the very, very old template for these cards are templated with two separate abilities. There's an ETB ability that exiles something, and then there's a leaves the battlefield ability that returns that thing to play. And because right. they're two separate abilities, if if you cast Oblivion Ring and it enters the battlefield and you choose a target to exile, if you make Oblivion Ring leave the stack before its ETB effect has resolved, then it leaving play will cause its second ability to trigger and it will return something, but there's nothing, nothing has been exiled, so nothing will be returned. And mm -hmm. then it enters the battlefield ability will resolve and exile something forever. <laughs> so I'm going to try to use this. And there's, there's three things that do this. Icy Prison, Oblivion Ring, and Journey to Nowhere. You can uh -huh. also do shenanigans using Weight of Conscience and Reality Acid here. I'm going to oh, try gross. to cast Oblivion Ring and then bounce it to my hand with, with honestly, terrible cards like Rescue. Sure. Or like Cloud Shifting uh, Skyfisher or Dreamstalker. <laughs> like classic, classic. Yeah. So yeah, just horrifying ways to make sure that no one ever gets aboard. And like, what makes them horrible isn't like, the effect of this is basically just I get to exile something permanently. Yeah. But it's also, I get to exile something permanently, and O-Ring is back in my hand. <laughs> and it like, it's, again. it's the repeatableness that just sends everyone into the soul-crushing despair. Yes, it is. The other ways that I'm going to control the board are, uh, I mentioned, what is it, Oracle of Dust, the Eldrazi processor that lets you move things from exile to graveyards. Mm -hmm. uh, that's terrifying. And then the yeah. other card that's really interesting here is Loyal Sentry. It's a one-mana, one-one. When it blocks oh, a creature, that so much. destroy that creature and loyal sentry, which is that a doesn't sound good. Triggered ability that goes on the stack, <laughs> and then you can flicker it. Yep, you certainly can. You really, this was really another, can. Another uh, rare to common downshift. Yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it took me four. I think loyal sentry is when I was playing sixty card popper. Loyal sentry is what taught me to fully like understand triggered abilities. Yep. Because I just didn't get it at first, and then I lost to it like four times in a row, and I'm like, "What the hell's going on here?" But yeah, that's it. Like, when it blocks, you can have it block, and then flicker it. The other creature, the attacking creature, dies, and you still have your you get your loyal sentry lethal, back. Uh, yeah, you get loyal sentry back. So. Which again, like that by itself, ultimately the result is you kill a creature, but then you can do it again. And like the yep. endless repeatability of this is what makes it m more of like a, a despair-engendering lock deck than a tap-out control deck. I think. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I don't want to talk a lot too. Uh, sorry, but I think I think a lot too about combo not combo uh, about control decks is just the nothing. Nothing is going to get your opponents by surprise. There's very few gotcha cards in a control deck. Like everything is built around a certain inevitability and your opponents at some point in the game, you can almost watch them when they realize that they can no longer do anything. <laughs> you know, like there's a certain point where they're like yeah. trying to power through and trying to beat you down. And then 
turn 12, they're just like, oh, I I guess I'm dead? I can't do anything anymore? Like, like, Oh, you can just keep doing that? Oh. Yeah, like, oh, you just have the mana for that all the time? Okay, I guess, uh, right. I guess I'm done. Like, like when someone... When someone spends, you know, go for the throat to kill your creature, you're like, oh no, my creature. But but at least go for the throat is gone. <laughs> like, yes, you, yes. That doesn't... It's in the graveyard. It is gone. <laughs> like, you're not going to go for the throat me again. Like, with Olka, you never get that. It's like, yeah, okay. Like, I've I've used O-Ring to kill your thing, and then I put O-Ring in my hand. <laughs> like, yeah, certainly did. Play, play something else. I, I dare you. <laughs> like, I dare you. <laughs> it's so, yeah, soul, soul crushing. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. But yeah, I don't want to talk about Olka anymore. I would like to move on. Sure. I want to I want to hear what how draw go decks are going to uh transform the no fun allowed plan into a game winning strategy. Yep. Yeah, so the draw go decks to transform this into a game winning strategy is actually pretty dependent on the commander. Other variants of control they're kind of going to rely on the game going long to slam out a, a big win con. But in my experience, the Drago decks are winning as they go. Uh, the Siani SEO deck is putting a lot of incidental damage out into the board, hoping to eventually get down to that one-on-one battle and just finish off the opponent with whatever life they have left, whatever little life they have left. Uh, the Sakarian yeah. Infiltrator is kind of doing a similar thing, uh, but rather than doing combat along the way it's just clogging up the board with a bunch of what are they one twos one fours yeah one Uh, twos twos, yep yeah it's it's clogging up the board with just a bunch of one twos uh with all the card draw it's probably aiming towards some kind of combo finisher but in the event that it can't no (laughs) you tell me about the your deck there's 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 two cards in the deck that are how you end games one of them is Mightstone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the other one is Sunken City. Yeah, okay. So that was yes. the other thing is, is you know, I, I imagined like a singular combo in the deck, but I also nope. imagined just waiting till you had 50 infiltrators and yep. running with that. That's how I built my deck. I yeah. think it's way more fun that way. Um, the Mischievous Chimera, uh, that deck's going to win with the damage that it's dealing. Uh, ideally, you are bolting every opponent every single turn cycle. With 30 life, that's not going to last very long, especially if there happens to be some other spell slinger or aggro deck at the table that's rapidly lowering the life totals. Uh, in the OG deck, uh, good lord, the OG deck is going to go two and a half hours, uh-huh. drawing all the cards, gaining all the life, stopping all the combats, uh-huh. uh, yep. and, and hoping that its opponent's concede uh no not seriously uh <laughs> ideally og has some kind of combo win uh or some kind of combat win yeah the combat win Picking is a one little of harder to achieve just because there's not huge creatures in white and blue so even to beat people down you sort of have to do it over time right but i think if you legit want to win with og before your opponents starve to death it's you're gonna have to go with a combo win yeah yeah. It's not, it's not, it doesn't make it a combo deck. Like you're not specifically trying to win with the combo. It's just there because you will, with OG, you will eventually scry it or you will draw it or you will see it at some Correct. point in the game. The, the, the difference in, at least my opinion, and, and co-hosts, let me know if you agree, between a combo deck and a combo win is the combo win is 
maybe maybe it's the primary win condition, maybe it's the secondary win condition, but the combo deck is aiming to get that combo off as fast as it can. It's tutoring, it's rapidly drawing cards, it's got redundancies for its pieces, versus the combo win is just kind of thrown into the deck as like, yeah, you know, game's got to end sometime, but it's not primarily yeah. what you're going for. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think that's accurate because I, I have. Yeah, is it is it Guild Mage is absolutely a combo deck. It doesn't have a backup plan. It's just got. I mean, the, the backup plan is the other combos. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> but like Marshcroc has combos in it, but yeah, uh, I don't think of it as a combo deck. I think of it as a, a mid rangey hand disruption deck. That, yep. that is is just as happy winning by crocodile beatdowns as it is with combos. Yeah. Is that the end of Drago? That, win that's, conditions? The end of Dra- that's the end of Drago. Drago, the win condition is just whatever the commander is doing. The win condition yep, is I, going yep. as the game goes. Yep, I think that's fair. And it Drago is very sneaky, like it's super sneaky because you're just accumulating so much value. You're you're accumulating more value than your opponents are aware of is yep. is my experience with with draw go decks because it's not just like oh I'm gonna bounce this or counter this or do whatever or chip in for one damage especially in PDH where it's like oh I'm gonna do all those things keep myself safe keep everybody you know it it arms arms length or whatever but they're also sort of beating each other down so by the time your draw go deck is left in a one v one situation. You've probably got double their life totals, and you can just continue your same game plan while they're trying to like get through all your instant speed interaction. Yeah. So, I think they're pretty fun. I like them. All right, where are we at here? We are on hashtag C pound C number C hashtag C hashtag C pillar number hashtag C. How to transform <laughs> the no fun allowed into a win? Into a win. Well, if you notice the theme with my four decks that I mentioned earlier, I talked about earlier, they are all sort of, I think being a tap out deck means you are some variation of a rock deck where the end result is going to be sort of the same with Baleful Strix as it is with Witherbloom, as it is with Parasite, as it is with Tor. Well, maybe not Tor so much because Tor can be the finisher if, if, if you built it that way. Actually, I don't even think you have to focus on building it that way. Tor can just end the game because of his static ability, so yeah, uh, or triggered abilities. But definitely with the first three, you can just build them in such a way that they all drive your game plan towards this end goal of just giant creatures, or uh, you know, a couple Gary triggers, or just you know, beat downs like. Um, the way I've built Baleful Strix, and I've seen quite a few other people build it this way too, not that they say it's the best way to do it or whatever, is just this tap-out control list that has some creatures in it for value, some initiative creatures, some ninjas to get Baleful Strix back, to cast it again, to draw another card, yada, 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 all the typical stuff you would expect. But then, you know, I just jam in a giant cranial plating package yeah, just buddy. you know, just try to like beat people down on turn fifteen or whatever. Like, yeah. here he comes, flying death touch. He's whatever, you know, huge because Baleful Strix itself is an artifact. So yeah, right there, you know. And then you got um, your choice of mana rocks. Like, I think I run uh, 
18 just straight up artifacts in my list plus a few artifact creatures treasure token things that sort of thing and just plan on beating people down throw some brass knuckles in there like let's go let's 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 have a good time or at least let me have a good time here now that's going to take a while you're going to have to play this tap out role until you get to that point and the good thing about a cranial plating slash brass knuckles finisher is it doesn't have to be on baleful strix it can be on any of your giant creatures or it doesn't even have to be a giant creature. You know what I mean? Like you can just beat people down with those two cards alone and it works, but you have to spend the time and the spells and the mana to get to that point in sort of the later game. Uh, same thing with Witherbloom. If you build it more of the tap out control variety, you're, you are doing the same thing. You are ramping your mana. You may get there a little quicker than Baleful Strix because you do have the ability to ramp to fix your mana better, uh, to have an abundance of the mana. Um, but you're sort of doing the same thing. You're just casting gigantic creatures, possibly multiple times, if you can recur them or unearth them or grave flicker them, that sort of thing. Um, I don't think that needs this doesn't need a lot to be said about the win con of like a rock deck. Just know that if you're going to build Apprentice this way, have a good strong creature package but don't forget about your you know it's easy to go crazy and throw in 40 creatures or what have you don't forget about having a nice robust instant and or sorcery package because that 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 one drain for the table from weather balloon apprentice really will add up like even if you only get five of them like that's an entire, you know, like creatures worth of combat damage to each opponent. Like that, that really adds up I've, quite a bit. So I've, I've died to Witherbloom triggers before. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like, I have too. I've, uh, Dina, Witherbloom. Yeah. It happens. It for sure happens. Weather the storm is. Oh, God. <laughs> ungovernable. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Cause it's whenever you cast or copy an instant. Oh, yeah. That's, that's terrible. Wow, I never even considered that, yeah. And that could be, you know, almost like you could look at that as almost like a finisher. You know, maybe oh, yeah. you do want to finish the game with Wither Balloon Apprentice specifically. Yeah. Well, you'll just use your, your fight spells and your giant creatures to just keep the board clear and protect your commander until you're ready to, like, weather the storm the table out or, you know, whatever. Like, there's a lot of options you can go with this deck, I feel like, and they all sort of fit together. S speaking of... Weather the storm, wind conditions, and how to not die by interacting with the stack. Mm -hmm. I wanted I need to let everyone know Storm is a triggered ability. So if the storm count is eight and the wither bloom is in play and someone says, I cast Weather the Storm, uh, you do have an opportunity to not instantly get yeeted out of the game. And that is <laughs> cast Wither the Storm, uh Wither Bloom triggers for his one mm -hmm. life drain and storm triggers for the create eight copies of the spell right. thing. If you kill Weatherbloom apprentice before the storm trigger resolves, then he does not see those eight copies get created and you don't lose your eight life. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. It's a it's a really weird technicality. You have to you have to do it at the perfect moment in the stack. Like the storm triggers on the stack, Witherbloom dies before it resolves. That that's how you that's how you save your own life. Because like a counterspell yeah. doesn't stop that. 
No. Like, if you counter weather the storm, the storm trigger still happens, and he still makes eight copies, and you still die. Yeah. Like, it has to... The only way out of that is to get Witherbloom off of... Or, I mean, I, I suppose you could... In Popper, it is possible to discard Mirror Shell Crab to counter the storm <laughs> ability. That is a thing that you can oh, sure, potentially sure. do. But like outside of outside of Discrab, only way out of that is you have to mark the the apprentice with the storm trigger on the before the copies get created. And there is an yep. opportunity to do that. Interesting. I never would have thought of that. Yeah. It just never I guess never <coughs> excuse me. Never occurred to me that storm was a uh, triggered ability. Mm-hmm. It's like Cascade. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Uh, Thrall Parasite, pretty similar to The Apprentice, except it's going to be more straightforward, more down and dirty, more mono-black control. I don't think I need to go too deep into it. You're going to turn, just like most other mono-black control lists, you're turning what you have on the board into a win by beating people's faces late in the game. I mean, you're going to use that extort, especially late in the game. You know, sure, maybe Thrall Parasites cost you seven or nine mana at this point, but that extort is still just one extra. That's all you need. If you get them down on turn 12 and you start casting two or three spells per turn and extorting like that, just like Witherbloom Apprentice, that could very well be the end of the game. Like, you could very well win with your commander. I don't know how viable it is. I don't know if you can build a all-in on the parasite sort of plan, but I think this functions very well as a mono black control list where you're just um, you're jamming, you know, the monarchy and the initiative and all the fleshbag marauder effects with new demons disciple that we got downshifted. Uh, we've got a handful of those that you can put on the table now, and we've got the Garys and the pestilences and crypt rats and all that sort of thing. So it's a very straightforward mono black deck. Hardcore control with Thrall Parasite as a sure why not sort of win con. I don't see a problem with that. And let's see, what else have I got here? How to transform the no fun allowed to a win with Tor Wauki the Younger. Like I said a few minutes ago, I think it's not, I don't want to say easy, but I think there's a fairly straightforward path to winning with Tor on the board without trying to win with Tor on the board because he's going to pay you off for things that a control deck in Rakdos is already going to want to do, which is remove creatures, which is draw cards, which is burn spells to the face. And Tor is just going to pay you off for that. So similar to Witherbloom and similar to Thrall Parasite, Tor is going to pay you off for doing what your deck already wants to do but it's not going to take any extra work really to do it. So if you can keep Tor alive, more power to you. And other than that, you're just, um, if you're not winning through Tor, you're winning through um, your pingers, giant creatures again. Black loves its giant creatures. They're easy to get back from the graveyard. They're fairly, I don't want to say easy to cast, but they're hard to get rid of once they are on the board. And, um, yeah, I think that's really about it. Uh, do you have anything to add to Tor, Liam or Dave? No, I think uh, yeah, <laughs> it's one of those tricky ones. Like you can you can build it in so many different directions. I just I am more interested in the 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 controlling Tor than anything else. 
Breath of Malfagor deals six damage I to know. everyone. I I love it. Breath of Malfagor, Skullrend, all that good stuff. Oh, Come on. Skullrend. Oh, Blightning? <laughs> Lightning, hello. <Gross. laughs> yeah. Like, that's the main reason I want to rebuild my tour deck, just to put those pet cards in there. Like, that's all I want to do. That's fine. So, uh, yeah, I think that rounds out my pillar hashtag number C pillar, pillar, pillar. Uh, what do you got, Dave? Uh, yeah, surprising no one. <laughs> Combo control decks are going to try to transform no fun allowed into a win by comboing. <gasps> no way. You don't say. It's true. Uh, we've talked about how these different combos work in other episodes, so uh, I'm not going to get into detail there. But yeah, uh, all of these decks are sort of distinguished, I think, in my mind at least, by the more like hard control decks. In that, um, there's less control. If just card by card, like I think that. Sakarian Infiltrator probably has 20 bounce spells in it. Is it Guildmage? I think probably only has about, you know, maybe 10, 10, 10 to 15 dedicated control spells, 10 to 15 dedicated counter spells, and then there's sure. a lot of digging. Uh, and it's mm, it's very yeah, specifically okay. yeah, yeah. digging and not just card draw. Like, straight, you know, draw three cards is fine, but what's what's better for the Is It Guild Mage and the Rune Crab and the Avalanche Caller, better than draw three is, you know, for a much cheaper rate, look at the top four and put one in your hand. Mm-hmm. The card Impulse, Anticipate, uh, Moment of Truth, these are like mana for mana. If you need if you need specific cards, these are going to dig you deeper farther than waiting to spend five mana on Lorien Revealed or six mana on Mental Journey to right. draw to just straight draw three. So the all all three of these decks are on that plan. I think all combo decks are on that plan. Like Impulse is just such a powerhouse of digging at instant speed for two mana in any blue deck that's trying to put together a specific set of cards. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some you know, tutors as well. If you're in Demir, Mystical Teachings is a great way to put together a combo. All of the Transmute spells will help you put together your combo. Uh, Merchant Scroll is a great way to put high tide into your hand and we all know that all good things start with high tide <laughs> yep all of them every single one of them everything like it, weirdly the three combo decks i'm talking about here all of them run high tide combos and they're all completely huh, different high tide combos like <laughs> is it guild mage is going to combo with high tide and hidden strings rune uh-huh. crab is going to combo with high tide and ghost with flicker avalanche caller is going to combo with high tide and freed from the real completely different combos <laughs> they all start with high tide um, awesome. so that's how the combo decks are going to win. They're going to combo. The lockdown deck isn't actually going to win at all. It's just going to not lose until everyone else gives up. Right. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's a theme. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, I, I joke about that. Like I tried, I've tried to make my Olka deck have like actual meaningful combat elements instead of just being all locked down all the time. So like, mm-hmm. In, I mean, all of the lockdown stuff I talked about before is in the deck, but like instead of digging for that and like trying, there's no real card draw in Olka. It's it's not going to try and dig down until it hits this lock. It's just going to play with stupid stuff like Tokasia's Onulet because <laughs> you can unearth it and then flicker it and it comes back and stays in play. And I think that that's really cool. Yeah, and that like, is cool. I, I like doing that. Soul of Migration. It and then oh, it. so good. So like, good. 
with my particular Oracle list, it is perfectly possible to play a game that, you know, threatens the table, does the thing without ever locking anyone out. <laughs> sure. Like, that's possible, but mm-hmm. this is also the only However... deck. This is, this is the only PDH deck I've ever played with or against that has successfully locked someone out of the game to the point where they were like, this is stupid, I quit. Yeah. And I've yeah, done that had... twice in two different had... ways. So. Yeah. I've done that once with OG on a Stonehorn Dignitary lock against oh. two players. Like it just, and that's not what it's designed to do. Like it's designed to like flicker Stonehorn once, like just to get like two extra combat steps over my opponent, and that's it. Like it just was. It's not really designed to use Stonehorn as a win condition. It just worked out that way. <laughs> yep. So, Stonehorn happens. I felt scummy, but it happened. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of the thing. Like, I don't have any, I don't have any way to tutor Stonehorn Dignitary. I don't have any way to tutor Vidalcan Dismisser. If I yeah, don't draw no. them, then I'm not going to do a lock. Yeah, but exactly. Like, the the opportunity cost of putting them in the deck, compared to what they add in value to this deck's ability, is like absurd. It's it feels yeah, for sure. It, I I totally agree that it feels really scummy, but it. Somehow, in this case, it feels worse to not run them. Like, oh, I absolutely... I'm not taking them yeah. out of OG. <laughs> right, right, right. But I mean, like, there's other so. things where, like, you know, Gary... Gary feels really scummy. I've been taking Gary out of my black decks because I just... Like, I hate winning with it as much as I hate losing to it. And I would just rather not mm-hmm. do it. Like, I've, I've, I've been cutting it. And, like, the same with, like, Oubliette. You know, I took Oubliette out of my decks a year ago. I've I've been slowly taking out Honored Heirloom because it just it's a field bad for me like mm-hmm. Vidalcan dismisser and like stonehorn dignitary i'm not taking out of this deck because they're scummy but like i feel like i have to work for it <laughs> like right <laughs> you have to you have to keep olga around and you have to survive that long into the game and like the deck is doing weird stuff and you have to draw them it's like yeah i'm fine with that yeah i've made my sure. piece <laughs> so uh that's how i'm going to I'm, I'm this is this is me i'm doing scare quotes here this is how i'm going to Win, <laughs> win, wink, wink. Win with the uh, the the lockdown deck and the con- the combo control decks. Um, I'm gonna pass things back off. Uh, I want to know how draw go is going to not run out of gas. Yeah, how is it gonna do half of its name? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was I was trying to find the joke there. I'm glad you got it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's Drago. It it's kind of self-explanatory when the name of the deck is draw. Um, weird. Yeah, okay, okay. A little weird. I see what you uh, what you're doing here. In addition to that, uh, circling all the way back to a comment I made at the very beginning of the episode, where comments don't really say the words draw a card on them too often outside of blue mm-hmm. well draw go decks are blue um so it turns out uh not only depending on the deck are we running you know counter magic and protection magic and you know bounce spells again deck dependent uh, but we're also right. running draw spells uh in particular instant speed draw spells uh some of the better ones are sorceries and so we'll run a few of those uh but we are still running a very, very healthy amount of the one to two mana draw spells. Uh, and that's how we're not running out of gas. We're going to constantly draw cards, you know, when we naturally would as part of the turn cycle. And we're going to draw cards on our opponent's turns because our cards say so. 
Yep. One thing you got to get used to as a draw go player is saying, oh, on your end step. Yeah. On your end step, I'm going to cast 10 spells and pretend it's my turn. And then when it's actually my turn, I'm going to do nothing. Yeah, I've played, there's so many times you'll play against a, a, a deck like that, a Drago deck or what have you, and the, they will do so many things on the player's instep that you do. You kind of forget that that wasn't just their turn. And they're like, oh, and now I'll untap for my turn. You're like, oh my god. Like, right, we, you literally have to sit through two turns of this player playing their deck. Yep. It's crazy. All right. Well, that seemed pretty uh, straightforward for Drago to draw cards. It's almost as straightforward in tap out control because a lot of the good draw spells tend to be, especially especially in black, they tend to be uh, sorcery speed. So that's fine. We are going to use our mana anyway. It's there for a reason. Um, in Baleful Strix, you can abuse its ETB because it does ETB and draw you a card. So you can use ninja effects. You can use some flicker effects. All that kind of thing. You're probably going to have to cast it from the command zone a couple times. Uh, not a problem there. The tour deck is sort of the same. You've got we've gotten some pretty good red draw spells as of late, so that's nice to have. But then again, you just have the other half of the deck, which is your um, knights whispers and your village rights and your deadly disputes and all that sort of good stuff. Uh, we've gotten a couple in newer sets. I don't think they're as good as those, but uh, there was like a draw one gain one life or something like that draw i forget from lord of the rings i so just yeah pretty much i just oh, remembered ahead. that uh reckless impulse and ren's resolve exist and that's mm-hmm. that's gonna push in my mind that's gonna push tor the younger just a little bit further towards tap out control because they are they are sorceries that let everyone at the table know what cards are in your hand <laughs> Yeah, which that's is true. Very, very different from how Sakarian Infiltrator or Mischievous Chimera want to play. Yep. Yeah, there are kind of what I said earlier. There, when you're playing a an actual tap out control list, there's not a lot of secrets. Like you are just doing your game plan, and you're hoping that it is stronger than what your opponents are doing, or or more well timed, if you will. So. So yeah, all four of the decks I picked for this. Um, sort of slice of the control pie are sort of the same. They're all oh, they are. They're all black based. They all have black in them. So you've got all those draw spells. You can mix in blue for draw spells. Wither Bloom is a little touchy on how to not run out of gas just because green isn't awesome at drawing cards. It's got a couple ETB creatures that'll draw you a card. It's got a couple spells. I've been really high on Provoke lately. The spell Provoke, the card. I think it's two mana green target creature must be blocked if able draw a card like just randomly draw a card. The, the so thing that, I that's love, good. The thing I love about Witherbloom and its card drawing capabilities is that like you can you can go really really hard on like you don't need the green to draw cards. You can just go berserk right. on the the Knights Whispers and the Sign and Bloods because he is padding your life total. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, those black draw spells do not hurt nearly as much. Which is very nice, because they are powerful. They just, they're just they just sorcery speed, so you're uh, you're sitting there with tapped lands until your next turn. But yeah, that's a really good point. You know, if you're casting a Knight's Whisper and taking two damage, well, you're really only taking one, and that feels way better. But I think that's pretty straightforward. Tap out, you're just... I wouldn't recommend um, 
paying five for a Lorien revealed or what have you. Like that's not my idea of tap out. Sure, it's like spending all your mana, but that doesn't feel super great. But I guess it's something you could do if you wanted to. I'm st- in my tap out control lists. Um, I picked these four because I've either built them, I or I still have them built, or I play them regularly, or I've lost to them a lot. <laughs> like I, I've never actually played Apprentice, but I've lost to it quite a bit. Same. And I still. I still like to play cheap spells or, you know, mid, mid-range mid costed spells, if you will. I just like to play multiple of them. Like, I'm not like a, uh, a haymaker, you know, spend nine mana on one spell kind of player. But I'd like to double and triple spell per turn if able. And that only plays into the tours and the Wither Bloom Apprentices and even the Thrall Parasites if I've got the mana to extort. So... I still like to play cheap spells. I'm just trying to use as many of them as possible. Uh, but yeah, I think that's really about it. You're just trying to draw cards off your off your black mana. Baleful Strix has the best of both worlds, being blue and black. And, you just and having the words draw cards stapled onto your two mana and body. And draw cards stapled on your <laughs> commander seems pretty good. Um, and then you could, you know, in Baleful Strix, you could go the route of like... Like I mentioned ninjas earlier, like ninjas of the deep hour, obviously moon circuit hacker, that sort of thing. But, you know, if you wanted to go a little, little um, harder into the tap out control, you know, we've got a ton of when this creature deals damage, draw a card got or we'll, you know, combat damage to a player, draw a card or this creature becomes unblockable. Like you could lean super hard into the initiative or into combat damage triggers, that sort of thing. So it's pretty wide open. It's pretty toolboxy for Demir. But I enjoy it as a tap-out control commander. Well, I feel like combo is dead in the water if it runs out of gas. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I already mentioned this a bit before, where like the combo decks are going to focus on things like impulse m- much more heavily than they will focus on things like divination or moldrifter. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. So... Uh, I talked about that. They're going to run a lot of these. Uh, is it Guildmage in particular is going to not run out of gas by um, copying Impulse a bunch of times? Which is crazy. That is uh, kind of crazy. I like it. R- Ruin Crab. Ruin Crab is like weirdly really excited about the Lorien Revealed and the um, uh, Mental Journey. These are like really heavy, you know, five mana draw three sorceries. But mm-hmm. the, the Ruin Crab. Like as a landfall deck, it's like really designed around like getting to you know ten, eleven mana. Like mm-hmm. at that point, it's really f- totally fine spending five on its main face to draw three for Lorien revealed. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. And like that, they also land cycle so that you can make sure you're hitting those land drops early if you draw into these early is pretty big. Avalanche caller is going to not run out of gas with cards like. Omen of the Sea and Academy Wall. This is another yeah, kind shout, of shout out to Omen of the Sea. Like I know it's that everybody knows it's a good card, but I feel like it doesn't see the play it should. I I'm a huge fan of Omen of the Sea. I am too. I'm looking at the the card advantage section of this, and something that I probably should have mentioned more of is things like Academy Wall and Compulsive Research. And mm-hmm. uh, these are draw and then discard some stuff. Um, so that will. Much like, you know, look at the top four, choose one, shuffle the rest back in, draw a number and then discard a slightly smaller number is going to help yep. you with the digging more than it's going to help you 
handful, but if you're if you're getting the right cards, then you're fine. For Avalanche Caller in specific, uh, getting keeping the hand really full is not going to be a huge priority because you'll always have something to do with your lands. Sure. Like if even if you're hellbent, you can still just you know pay eight mana to attack someone for sixteen. <laughs> and like that's that's not right small <laughs> like so it's like you're almost never really out of gas in that deck exactly like as long as yeah. you have access to avalanche caller which is in your command zone so you should always have access to it like you should be able to just like you'll have mana sinks no matter what with, with or without cards in your hand you will be able to do things mm-hmm. um yep. a lot of other combo decks are going to get card advantage in like you know i, I said is it Guildmage is going to do it by using Is it Guildmage? Uh, a lot of other combo decks are going to get the, the advantage using their commanders. So like Gretchen's going to do it with Gretchen's ability. Tetiova's going yeah. to do it with Tetiova's ability. Uh, what else? What else is a combo deck? Parcel Beast is going to do it with Parcel Beast Parcel ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like so many of these combo decks are just going to be really aggressive about keeping your hand super full. Yeah, and they kind of have to be too because your whole deck for the most part focuses on your commander being on the battlefield. Yeah, yeah. So not only do you need gas in your hand to pull off the combo, you probably need gas in your hand for protection or interaction or what have you. Yes, that is that is, is a Guildmage's big weakness. I, I talk a big game about all the ridiculous, broken, absurd nonsense he can do when he's in play, but like the last couple times I've played that deck, I've just been like, I cast a Guildmage, and someone's like, I kill it. <laughs> like okay, yeah. pass turn. <laughs> pass like, turn. Sorry about this. Sorry oh, to interrupt what you were doing, right. opponents. <laughs> sorry, sorry for making you discard that removal spell again. <laughs> yep. Like, like the the yeah. last time specifically I played, I was super careful about only playing the guild mage when I had ways to protect him. So like I had, I played the guild mage first, and someone was like heated debate, and I was like, okay, I can't right. I can't counter that. I guess I'll just yep. die. And then I, <laughs> like I used a counterspell on something else to stop someone's combo. And the only counterspell I had left in my hand was um, like Jaded Response, which will counter something if it shares a color with a permanent you control. And I, had I have a, never heard of this card. It's, it was it was really really powerful a couple of years ago when the competitive Apocalypse, meta was okay. mostly just uh, combo blue combo decks. Sure. Because it's it's just a you know pay two mana counter a blue spell basically, and like that's what you needed in the competitive meta three yeah, years ago fair. so i had i had this in my hand and i was ready to counter a blue spell and uh i got i got hit with the active volcano to oh kill the no it's like okay <laughs> i guess he'll die again oh wow, that is digging deep yeah so it was just a bad time yeah um yeah i almost mentioned active volcano earlier in one of the pillars, but I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to dig that deep. But uh, active volcano is actively a good card. It is. It's a, uh, it is. Maybe, maybe it's it wasn't spicy active good. volcano. Maybe it was. Maybe it was just pyroblast. No, it was because I remember active volcano. I remember being frustrated in this game because, yeah, it must have been pyroblast because active volcano isn't the counter spell. It's only a destruction spell. It must have been pyroblast yeah. because I remember in this game, if the guild mage had resolved, then I could counter the red spell that was going to kill it. But oh, they were countering, yeah, yeah. like a mono red deck was countering it with a uh, pyroblast. And I, my, my counter spell in hand couldn't answer pyroblast. And I was like, I guess I'll die again. And then I got attacked to death. And that was, <laughs> that was my only contribution to the game. 
Yep. Thanks for the game, y'all. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I struggled for a while with... Um, I think I first noticed it when I built Baleful Strix a long time ago. And I, I played it a couple times, and it had happened in other decks, and I'm like, why am I constantly out of mana? Like, I want to do stuff on your turn, but I don't have any mana available. Like, what is happening? And then I would get to my turn, and I'd drop these giant creatures and all this stuff, and then, you know, Alf would take his turn. I'd be like, why don't I have any mana available? Like, what's going on here? So it took me a long time to really, like, accept the fact that I enjoy tap out control instead of like learning to go the other way and, and build it or work more on my draw go control strategies and play patterns and stuff. I was just like, screw it. And I just leaned into the tap out control aspect. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of just where I've been ever since. I do love the tap out control. It's, uh, it's very easy to play. It's very straightforward. It and is. And it's, I, you know, it's almost like aggro where it's very linear you know, like, you know what your game plan is on your turn. Yep. If you happen to have mana available on anyone else's turn, you can figure it out then. But yeah. For the most part, you know exactly what you're doing. So. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of forced myself to just try the draw go thing. And, like, I, I really just, I wasn't very good at it. And then I started playing Bird Horse. And I was like, I better get good fast. Yeah, and get like, good real fast. Uh, I, I enjoy it now. Now that I've had a lot of practice with it. And like and, and practice in a very supportive environment where the people I was playing with, I was like, you know, someone would do something. And I'd be like, uh, is that a thing I need to stop? And like having <laughs> like the people I was playing with at the time, this is Crash, Yelleron, and Mentir, like super yeah, yeah. supportive about like very honestly talking me through it. Like even if it was part of their own combo, they they were like, "Yes, you need to stop this." Like they were they were very honest about, you know, what I what I should and shouldn't be countering. It was it was super helpful to like get a grasp on how to be doing this. Uh, So yeah, with 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 very kind and open minded assistance, I became I became much more good at playing Drago, and that made me much Mm -hmm. more like excited about Drago because Sakarian Infiltrator is just real fun if you're in the yeah. mood for that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm not good at brewing or building a novel Drago deck, but I do enjoy playing them. Like in 60 card popper, like, is it fairies? Awesome tempo, awesome Drago deck. Um oh yeah. Fairies. OG, probably the only Drago deck that I've ever personalized this much, and I'd love playing that deck, but I don't really find myself gravitating towards other Azorius or Drago commanders, but if I were to pick up someone's deck, or if I were to see a really cool Drago deck, I would probably just build it. I just don't have any like desire to build them or brew them myself, might, but they are fun to play. I might force you to build a Drago deck in a couple of weeks when we talk about uh, Eldraine signposts. Because there's, because there's a one I'm looking at that looks real spicy. And if you want, if you're sitting there thinking, "Man, I wish people like bullied me into doing this more," I got. <laughs> that is exactly. How did you know? How did I, you possibly know? I, I got the. I see what's going on here. <laughs> so, what do you think overall, Liam? How are you feeling about uh, our our little control breakdown here? Where are you at with the form, with the uh, archetype? I don't know. Uh, control isn't really. You, you don't typically play a lot of no, control. Control right? isn't really. My like even game. your mono black is still just Yargle. Yeah, like my mono black decks still devolve into Voltron. Um, right. I'm not a. I'm not a big control player. Like I. I am a very big aggro player. I like to tap out on my turn 
and turn everything sideways and then just hope sure. I don't die on the crackback. Um, yep. <laughs> so, so Sounds honestly, right. uh, when we were doing this video and divvying it up, being assigned draw go was kind of like the absolute complete opposite I could have been doing. But I, being I am assigned. <laughs> <laughs> I am trying to branch out. Siani uh, Sior is a deck that I'm actively working on. And so that was one of my draw go examples. It is a deck I'm actively walking on slowly uh, because it's not my usual pace. But yeah, sure. I I think we're doing good here. Yeah, I, I think, think so good. too. And it's funny because like I instantly fell in love with OG the first time I played the deck. But I went through like three or four iterations of Mischievous Chimera and hated every single one of them. And I just eventually took the deck apart and never played it again. I mean, I know they're different commanders, but they're kind of the same style like we've been talking about. Yeah. So I guess I'm just not really like a Drago person. But uh, yeah, I just found that interesting. Like Mischievous Chimera reads really interestingly, and it's in Is It, which is typically fun tempo Drago colors. I just I could not find a build of that deck that that I enjoyed playing, I guess. You played Chimera for a while, didn't you, Dave? I did not. You did not? Um, a couple of the people I was playing a lot with were very into Chimera for a little while. Uh, Maybe Sniff, that's what it was. Sniff has a Chimera deck. The, the I, I played against Sniff's Chimera deck one time at the studio where he had this draw where he went, you know, turn turn like three or four, he played the Chimera, and then on turn, mm -hmm. at the end of a turn cycle, he flashed in Ophidian Eye while we were all tapped out. And oh, then wow. on his turn, he just put the Lord of the Dominus on it. <laughs> he had this 4-4 shroud flyer that was drawing three cards three or six or nine cards every turn yep. and it was just like that, that's that felt like the lock that game gave me the despair of like I, nothing i can do will ever deal with this and like i can't oh i could totally see that yep. yeah it was rough yep awesome uh, we do have a few shout outs. You want to go over those, Dave, real quick? Or Liam? Either one? Uh, oh, yeah. I wanted to, we, as we brainstormed. For honorable mentions, yeah. Yeah. As we brainstormed which uh, control decks we were going to be talking about on this episode, there were a bunch that like, came up in conversation and we decided that we didn't want to try and uh, pigeonhole them into these flavors, but they should get mentioned anyway. Um, Obsessive Stitcher is a really great Demir Madness pile. It's uh, vaguely Vohar-ish, the leader in the command zone. Uh, Armix plus Ghost of Ramirez is uh, brutal to play against because Armix mm -hmm. is just going to kill your stuff over and over and over again. And Ghost is going to make it so that it doesn't even really cost cards for Armix to kill your stuff, which is uh, pretty rough. Mayhem yeah. Devil yeah, is <laughs> uh, a whole thing. Uh, Mayhem Devil doesn't feel like control when you read the card because you're like, oh, it's just one damage. How bad can it be? But like, however much you think people sacrifice things in a game, people sacrifice three times as much stuff in a game. They certainly do because it's so ubiquitous now. Just yeah. sacrificing stuff, treasures, tokens, artifacts, whatever. Fetch lands, like yeah, fetch lands. Fleshbag Marauders four damage. Oh, gross. Yeah. yeah, and we just um, got another one. And demons we just got another. There's like six fleshbags now. And yep. like, yeah, it's fine. Um, also, like, you have to consider what Mayhem Devil does as a control deck when you give it Death Touch. Yeah. Uh, 
Speaking of Death Touch, I have a Togo plus Halana deck that I genuinely feel is a control deck, uh, despite all the the big. I I, I say I have it. I sh- I should be very very clear here. This is my brother's deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, he built it. I yeah, put I think a version talked of about it together. This one. Yeah, it's super clever. Super. It's powerful. Really interesting on paper, and then you play it, and you're like, oh, this is, I am the fun police. No one gets to do anything <laughs> unless they have my permission, and like, it, that feels a little weird. Yeah, um, especially in Gruul, but that's cool. Yeah, like I, I love that it's in Gruul, because like once you're done I, being yeah. the fun police, you can be like, and here's an ancient Brontodon. <laughs> also, it deals nine damage to something, but also it's just uh-huh. a 9-9, so let's let's talk about that. It's going uh, to attack next turn. Like That's gross. that's super fun for a control deck for me, but it's still a control <laughs> deck. And uh, speaking of no fun allowed, uh, I do love Fintorn Brownie and Scooby-Doo very much, and so I need yes. to talk about Phyrexian Sensor, uh, which is, we, we thought about tossing this one with Olka in the lock strategy but like that felt kind of weird because it's not it's not a hard lock it's just a colossal and ceaseless irritation yeah it's just more of a pushback yeah like it'll 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 keep people off of combo but it doesn't keep people off of like playing a big creature and attacking you to death which is a weird position for a deck to be in yeah, it's like one you of should... those big speed, speed humps that you see in a subdivision. Like you got to yeah. stay like two miles an hour so you don't bottom out. It's not a jail cell. It's just a really big speed bump. There you go. Yeah. So, um, if you want to hear more about those decks, uh, come hop into a Discord channel and then at Brownie and Scooby Drew and be like, "I heard you were doing weird stuff with the Phyrexian sensor," and they'll be like, "Yes." Please, please yeah. ask me questions about it. Be like, yo, tell me how to make opponents miserable. Yeah. Here you go. Right on. And that is that is said with all all due respect, all due love. Those yeah. are great decks. They're, they're <laughs> interesting decks. They're super they're fun. Just... <laughs> oh. Well, this has been quite the episode, pushing about two hours. Look at us. Yeah. Look at us go. The band's back together. We do extra long sets, probably an encore. Maybe not an encore, <laughs> but um, we had a listener question, but I think we're going to skip that for now. Uh, probably put it on next week. We'll see how that goes. Actually, next week is the is next week the spoiler. Yeah, next, the week, set review. next week's the set review, right? Yep. Yeah, it's probably another long one. So Wilds of Eldraine we shall get to it. Review. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. But as usual, there's a few more things before we get on out of here for the week. If you need any more Popper Commander talk or have any questions about the format, you can always email the show at thepdhpod at gmail.com. You can head on over to the PDH Homebase's website. That'll take you to the Discord server. Uh, the show is now on Twitter at the PDH Pod. Liam's on there at Popper Command. I'm on there at Popper underscore B. And... Dave is finally back home and comfy on his couch with his laptop, so he'll be everywhere else that PDH is being talked about. So, uh, yeah, as episode 62 comes to a close, we want to give a big thanks to MTG Brad for letting us use their original music for the show. And from everyone in here to everyone out there, brew a deck. Uh, Honestly, try not to be the fun police. (laughs) I'll see you in about a week. Peace. Cheers. See ya. You got anything to add to the tap-out control? I know I just sort of took it over for a few minutes, but... Are you muted? Was I muted? God. Dang it. Professionals.
next at the party.